This is the Tame Aperture Podcast. Open the pod bay doors, Cal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to the Tame Aperture Podcast, where we dive deep on film from first-time directors, indies, art house, and much, much more. Today on the podcast, we take a look into the 1967 directorial debut by Martin Scorsese, Who's That Knocking at My Door, originally titled I Call First, starring Harvey Keitel and Zena Bethune. Exploring themes of Catholic guilt similar to those in his later film Mean Streets, the story follows Italian-American J.R. as he struggles to accept the secret hidden by his independent and free-spirited girlfriend named Girl. I'm Gabe Vienendahl, filmmaker, film instructor, and movie enthusiast. I'm partnered today with none other than veteran podcaster and editor Alan Martindale. Alan, how the hell are you? Uh, I've been better. I've been better. Tell me why you've been better. This is a great way to start. Uh, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back the curtain a little bit if you don't mind. And um, we actually did a review on this a couple weeks ago. And I recall anyone who is a podcaster knows it, it, at some point you're gonna fuck up. You're gonna lose audio. You don't press record, or you you know hard drives crash, computers crash. Uh, and I've been doing it like nine and a half years, and it's happened probably half a dozen times give or take a little bit, but I've never regretted more of losing the audio than I did when I lost the audio for the first time we reviewed this movie. I think you did it intentionally because you wanted to rewatch the film again and talk about it for another hour. This movie is God awful. I hate this movie so bad. I hate it so bad. And I hate it more watching it the second time. I cannot believe I'm saying that. It's just, it's so monotonous to me so th- i mean that was instant punishment instant karma for losing the audio alan tell me before we get into the film we'll walk through it a little bit this film is a little different to walk through mm-hmm. traditionally what we've done is in structurally is kind of walk through the linear fashion of a story mm-hmm. based on the movie that we're reviewing talking about this film's a little more difficult to do that because of the 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 non-traditional form of editing this non-linear fashion right of piecing the story together in other words there's past there's present they're all intertwined and you don't really know where you are in time and space quite often throughout the film right right but i get the feeling this isn't the reason that you hate the movie no i actually i think if if it's done well i think the non-linear storytelling is great and can be very interesting like pulp fiction and reservoir dogs and movies like that i think you know do it fantastically and i love it but it's not that it's this it's just it's so boring and it feels so pretentious to me and it it feels like a movie that just uh, it's made by a director that just feels like he's super important you know, like he obviously Martin Scorsese's well, a genius. Well, let, let's let's take that statement in context because here it is, 2019. Now this film's made in 1967, right. so this film dates back. Is that 40 plus years? Right. Right. Am I doing my math correct. 50 plus years. 50 plus years. Yeah. Thank you. My I was off a whole decade. But in context, you make a statement like a self righteous director. It or feels self-important director. It feels like a film student who thinks that they're going to go off and and, and uh, explode the universe, which obviously Scorsese did. And I, I I don't get me wrong, 
You gotta, he's a genius. He's a genius, and his later work is fantastic. And I'm not disparaging, you know, what he's done since. But this movie feels like it's made by someone who is self-important and very pretentious and very young. And the training wheels haven't fallen off exactly. Yet. And that's the best part about this movie is seeing how how far he's come because. Typically, you know, I mean, you're, you're an instructor. I'm, I'm sure you've seen quite a few films that are self-important from students. You I've, know? Made, I've made them. Yeah. Well, everyone has. We all have. Sure. And um, Not intentionally. I didn't go in with the intention. Of right, like, right. I'm going to make... And that's, I think, partly... If you look at this film, too, I don't know that he's going into the film going, I have something really important to say. I honestly think it's more along... Now, there's things I don't like about it. We'll get into that. But I think it's more along the lines of like him going, this is what I'm familiar with and this is what I know. And this is the world that I'm going to attempt to convey. I actually don't feel the self, you know, importance of it. I think it comes from a, 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 ter- a certain type of uh, uh, upbringing. Mm-hmm. You know, like even in, in one of the log lines for the film, it says a young man struggles with the fact that his girlfriend was once raped. And so we're giving away the end, not the end, but we're giving away... It's pretty much the ending, right. That's kind of the idea is that he finds this out. And I think it comes from Scorsese being raised Catholic. Sure. In New York City in the 50s or the 40s, really, 40s, 50s, 60s. Mm-hmm. And I think he's just trying to like say what he knows. I don't know that it's self-important. Maybe that maybe he because because also when you're young, this is my thought, right? And I don't mm. I'm, these are I'm just pontificating shit. Sure. But when you're young, it, it might be fair to say that you think something's important that later on you find out isn't. And I think that's what it is. I think I, I think that's what it is. Uh, there's that old theory that uh, people who know the least about a subject think that they know more than they do and then when you get into it you realize oh i don't know shit about this and i kind of feel like that's his approach to this like and i think you're right in the fact that he's he's kind of discussing what he knows the world he knows but i also think he's putting an importance on that world and elevating it above everything else yeah and i think that's where the self-importance and kind of the pretentiousness comes from but there, I mean, there are some specific things that watching it for the second time, I can actually point out, this well, feels pretentious, well, this feels pretentious. Let's dive, let's go into those a little bit. We'll walk through the story and we basically have JR played by Harvey Keitel. Mm-hmm. This is also Harvey Keitel's first fil- film. Right. So this is his, his acting debut. And he he meets a girl in the beginning of the film. We kind of it is in uh, linear fashion. We mm-hmm. understand what this is the beginning, right, of a relationship between a boy and a girl. And you have Jr. And then you have girl. That's literally the name in the script. It doesn't go beyond right. what her real name is. It's just girl. Right. Uh, and they're on a ferry. I believe they're going to. Is it Staten Island? I think so. Yeah. Any New Yorker would be able to clarify but they're on the ferry and they have i actually like the opening scene because it's very uh it's very intimate and like it feels natural well it actually and and to go back a little bit to start out it actually starts with he and his buddies in the little bar thing and this is this is already where i get a little sideways on it is it's it feels very sloppy it feels uh, the continuity's way off 
the editing is bizarre. There's weird fades and stuff like that and dissolves and, and it just does it just feels very amateurish. And then when it goes to the scene with the girl where it kind of flashes back is kind of how I interpret it, that he's flashing back thinking about the girl. That's when I actually enjoy it. I love I lo- I in- enjoyed the parts with the girl more than anything else, obviously. I, I I wouldn't say I enjoy it, but it's it's far more entertaining, I guess I should say, than anything else that's going on in this movie. And so I like that. And I think you're right. The part on the ferry where they're interacting, I think he captures it very well. And I think it feels like when you're first meeting someone and you're and you're kind of nervous, but you're kind of hitting it off. He, I think he captures that very well. It just goes on too long. That's yeah, all. Yeah, the length, the pacing of it. No, you're right. I, I, I neglected to think about that first scene, which is kind of an introduction to the neighborhood. Mm-hmm. That's how I saw it, which was like he's introducing you to his world and his world's filled. Because... Even before that, if you remember, like, and we'll, we're kind of even jumping ahead because yeah. then you have before the, the montage of, of the boys roughing each other up and fighting and like actually really kind of kicking the shit out of, out of each other. Yeah. It's not like a playful thing. It's like right. pretty violent in, right. in, a, in a way. And before that, you have actually a, bu- a small montage of what is found out to be his mom mm-hmm. putting together... Uh, some food and cooking it, like doing the motherly thing and like right. nurturing the and putting together, like bringing in a, a a kitchen full of kids, and like cooking like it's some kind of pot, not pot, um, it's some kind of uh, bread. I right, don't know what right. It is. Either way, but like she's taken taken time to like make this thing and like mm-hmm. set the kids up and they're all happy that they're getting this well, great food. Are they though? See this, and this is a thing going back and watching it for a second time as torturous as it was, it's still, uh, it, it, it let me kind of uh, view it in a different light because knowing the reverence that he has for his mother and the way he was brought up, looking at those kids, they look just stone faced, miserable, like I almost thought it was going to be like, I, a, I saw some smiles on there. May, and there may have been, and this may be, me projecting my feelings onto these kids. I think it was the first scene and you're like, fuck this. Yeah, yeah that's definitely part of it. And the kids looked like they were pissed because you right. were pissed. Uh, yes, I, I think that's exactly right. I was so pissed having to rewatch this movie. You have no idea. It's painful. Um, but, but, but I think he's showing a contrast. One is the inside of the home with a nurturing mother who's tender and all the other adjectives we could use to describe mm-hmm. a mother a good mother. And then in contrast, the follow-up montage, the guys beating the shit out of each other mm-hmm. and the outside world that's not in the home, you know, and the right. violence that goes around. I think it's, uh, I think it's some kind of him conveying like what he, the literal uh, juxtaposition of being at home and feeling that vibe and then walking literally outside the streets and feeling a whole for other sure. vibe. For sure. Um, I don't know that it carries any... You know, for the story going forward, I'm trying to figure out if it really carries any information with it that means something for the story going forward. I don't think it does because it's really just like, here's my home, here's the outside of the home. And then all of a sudden it gets into a relationship between a boy and a girl. Right, right. So it's almost like he's feeling time in a sense of like trying to stretch it or something to it, make it a feature. The whole movie feels that way. And we know from research it started out essentially as a short film mm-hmm. as him, uh, he was a film student, right? Yes, yeah. So having 
to put together a we'll say a 20 minute film or whatever the length might have been and then trying to stretch it out over a feature i think even in the beginning like the first two three four minutes with the mother and the violence right. on the streets is just filler space oh for we, sure we get into that a little later too which we'll cover but like uh, it doesn't really have a whole lot of um uh emotionality to it in the sense of we're not sure what's really going on well essentially if i'm not mistaken i think the the short film was basically jr and his friends right that was the film and if i if i remember right it's been a while since i actually kind of researched this but Scorsese actually said everyone hated it. They everyone couldn't stand it because there's no plot. There's nothing going. Nothing on. happens basically. Yeah. It's just them fucking around. Yeah. And then he goes back and kind of retroactively edits, you know, reshoots and edits uh, the parts of the girl and the relationship in there. Which actually, towards the end, he kind of he he edits it to make some sense. It actually makes a little bit of sense and feeds a little bit more of what's going on with the friends. Right. Yeah, and I think and I think that is noticeable, which is like not having a complete story all the way through and then it is there is it, it's more it's more interesting with him and the girl you're right i mean if you look at any of the points many times that, with the exception of a couple mm-hmm. with his buddies like it's not overly stimulating to watch no and the moments that really kind of do resonate are the ones with when he's interacting with with the girl right right um and getting to know her and you kind of see this relationship building. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, but they meet on a ferry, but this gives us the idea and, and already it's already convoluted. And I agree with that. I mean, in that sense, it's already convoluted and rewatching mm-hmm. it, it feels heavy. And I don't mean like in terms of drama, I just mean in terms of uncertainty and what's really going on. Right. It's, it's, it's weighty. Like, Oh, I don't, I don't know how to, hold this because i don't right. there's nothing for me to to guide me yeah absolutely but but when we get to him and girl i, I love how that scene shot they basically it sets it up and they and they have an instant uh relation chemistry mm-hmm. and you kind of get the idea that there's something building there and they, they does it pretty authentically pretty quickly i liked how he did that and then it kind of starts mixing up this is where it starts to get confusing i think any viewer that watches this film buff or not is going to have a hard time following the through line sure until they get to the end right right because of the 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 style of editing for sure you know and i think that but but i think what it does do is highlight in that opening scene how good you know you talk about some of the performances and like the acting like even in a rough structural storyline uh Keitel, as a performer is intriguing to watch absolutely yeah Yeah. absolutely i mean he's already he's already got his chops at this point which is pretty impressive because this is not only is it his first film but he's shot this at so many different times of his life too i think i want to say he came back a year or two after filming the short and kind of reluctantly came back to film the rest of it yeah and he's still he's i mean he's just very very good throughout the whole thing it'd be an interesting thing as an actor to walk away from a film for like a year or two from that character right and then come back to that and really like land into that role again that's got to be hard you think about something like more modern like if it's like you this is not at the same caliber of of movie making Mm -hmm. right i get that but i just mean walking away from a role like you take like joaquin phoenix from the joker right take him out of the joker for like a year or two and then ask him to get back into it now i know they're not 
comparable, but I just mean for an actor to walk away for a certain amount of time sure. and jump back into a role and kind of feel it. Cause it, I, you don't really watch it and go, Oh, this, he doesn't seem like the same person or he seems no. different. There's slight, there's slight physical changes as you mature and get a little older. Yeah. Like, what, there's the scene later on. We'll just kind of jump into that quickly. Cause it, that's another throw in scene and they're trying to fill that time. And so there's a scene of him, it's basically like a fantasy scene. Yeah. Uh, where he's taught, because the concept, as we talked about, is that he's a, he's a Catholic, uh, grown up Catholic, uh, um, uh, uh, and has a lot of kind of conservative values about what it means to be married and what it means to be with a woman, and particularly a woman who's not had sex, a virgin. Sure. And so he, the concept is that he's ha- he has he later finds out that his, you know his 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 then girlfriend that he met on the ferry, was what she says raped and he doesn't really believe her. I don't. I just think he I, I, I sees think her he as believes her as just she's not pure anymore. She's not pure in I his eyes. I think that's the over the, the 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 main idea, but I also don't think that he believes her. I think in. There's something that the way he portrays the character that's like, you're just making that up because you sure. chose to have sex. Sure, sure. You know, um, but but that's the concept. I don't even I guess I'll, what I was getting at is like the conservative nature of his character and then finding out that his girlfriend has is not a virgin and how that changes his whole um, his whole feeling towards her. Right. And so, like, he's saying something there, and I don't know. I think I would be interesting to, like, what does that mean? Like, t- in today's world, I don't know that it carries a whole lot of weight. But I just mean, like, tonally, like, in the 60s, that was a real thing, and he grew up that. And I think he's just conveying that. Sure. You know? And that, you're, you're probably right. Now, this movie may just not be made for me because I'm not Catholic. I'm not from New York. I'm not Italian. So I, I, the I strike is, out, basically. And yeah. And so it, I may just it may just be way over my head, but to me it it does feel like he's definitely saying something about Catholic guilt and you know violence is okay. And what I, I guess the question around that is like, what is he saying? Is he saying it's a? Is he highlighting the kind of stupidity around it in the sense? And I'm not trying to degrade any kind of religion, but I just mean like the idea that he could, this Jr. could not have a relationship with someone because they had sex before. Like that's a li- that's ludicrous. Well, for sure, and I I think that. But but what I mean is like, is he trying to convey that that is ludicrous, or is he feeling like that's a thing that people should consider? And this is this way. is kind of part of what I have a problem with the movie. He's not. It doesn't feel to me that he's super clear on it. I have my interpretation, but I don't feel like I'm getting a message that Score says he is sending. But to me, it almost sounds. It, it felt to me like he's saying it's ridiculous because. Violence is okay in this society because they're beating the shit out of each other. Mm. Uh, stealing is okay because they're stealing from each other. Um, drinking is okay. Uh, getting prostitutes is okay. But having sex or, or having a, uh, a female who has had sex before, that's the big thing that you, you cannot do. do. Don't, don't pass or don't cross that line. Right, right. Of um, all the things, you know, like we can do whatever the hell we want to do. You but know, she's got to be pure. I think you're onto something here because I, I think initially I don't know that I thought that way because I think I was a little uncertain. I, I kept asking myself, okay, 
is he trying to say that this is absurd or is he right. trying to say that like this is something that's dear not dear to me but something I'm familiar with and sure. this is my life um and maybe you're onto something there cuz he is in in some in some aspects kind of juxtaposing the the absurdity of like that's over the top violence right in 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 and even even like bringing in hookers and all your buddies like acting weird like that's over the top right right Do you know what i mean like For so sure. he's saying all these things are quote unquote acceptable we can absorb these things for what they are but like you mentioned like you mentioned but she's not a virgin right right and maybe he is trying to go do we see the balance of absurdity here right do you know what i mean and, and it could be that it just it just seems to me rather than condemning it it just seems like he's just kind of showing all these things and there doesn't really feel like he's there's any direction carrying, with it yeah, he's and not i don't carrying a, a I, real hard punch at the end right i don't know what the hell he's trying to do with it and that's the thing it just feels like a collection of anecdotes and weird things that happen in his life that he's trying and then at the end he's like oh well i gotta have a story of some sort so i'll throw in this thing and it does kind of well the thing about it too is like it doesn't when you watch it you don't really you're not as invested as maybe you would be in other films like you're not really invested in in what's going on however he kind of saves it a little bit at the end yeah for me yeah um but I think that it's like you mentioned, it's convoluted and because it's convoluted and I don't I love the uh, editing concept style, the theory that I can play with time and space and I can adjust, you know, this is past, this mm -hmm. is present. I can move those around in the storyline and still have people make sense of it. Sure. But I don't think that because he's. He's, he's just capturing all this stuff over a, a two or three year period and he's trying to compile things. I don't think it's quite coming across with the clarity. Yeah. Uh, uh, because it, it, what I mean is it creates more confusion than it does uh, exposition about the characters and us learning about what's happening. Totally. Totally. It, it's, it's, it feels like a mess to me. And even, and like I said, the editing style. I don't hate the concept at all. I actually no. really enjoy the concept if it's in skilled hands. Um, but even in scenes, the editing is really choppy and really shitty at times. And sometimes it works like where they have multiple uh, multiple takes of the same line delivery or, you know, Harvey Keitel getting off the bed. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it's, it, it feels like it's a mistake. It feels like, oh, the editor screwed up here. Yeah. And this is throughout the movie where and, and, and I'll as a caveat to this, I'll say this ends up being one I mean, Thelma Schumacher is one of the best film editors that's ever right. been on the planet. Right. But she's also getting her she's still on training wheels. For sure. Um so it's not knocking anything about Scorsese or Schoonmacher. Sure. But it's looking at it and I, I, I agree with you. We'll get into ratings in a little bit. Um, one of the telltale signs for me too, is that if you, the confusion of the scene and then of course the sex scene. So one of the setups to the story is that JR says there's, um, help me out here. I just went blank. There's broads and there's, and there's girls, the I think good girls. Yeah. Yeah. And he's basically saying you don't mess around or you don't marry broads. Right. And so. 
Broads are basically women who've had sex who, before. Who, yeah, they're essentially considered whores. Right, right. That's what they consider them. And you don't mess with the with them right. unless you're trying to bust a nut. Right, exactly. Like that's kind you're of not what gonna he's marry, saying. You don't marry a broad. No, you can fuck around with a good girl. Yeah, but you're not going to marry them. Right, right. And or no, other way around. Other way around. You can screw yeah, around yeah, with a broad. Yeah, yeah. But you're not going to marry them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're going to marry the good girls. Um, and here's an interesting fact. And 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 so, uh, Jr. has the. He, he, has these there's a scene in here where there's a fantasy mm-hmm. and when i first saw it, because everything's kind of plugged in and just thrown in without any real kind of structure in a sense <laughs> yeah i w- i thought it was real for a minute like he was right for, for a right. minute and then i kind of gathered that this was not a real thing because he had been telling girl about what broads are right. and what girls are right and as he goes into this explanation to tell her the difference between the two it cuts into this scene of him like strapped to a bed naked right with, with women with and and then different it, women different women changing throughout the whole montage right and this kind of i think it sums up a, a big part of how the film is uh which is scorsese was told to add nude scenes so he could get uh they could prom- the distributor could promote it as a sexploitation film because it wasn't like a grindhouse uh, distributor or something like that. Yes, exactly. So that also kind of tells you something in terms of how the film was built because it didn't have anything that resonated overtly like strong on people <laughs> with anybody with emotionality. <laughs> no one could get it. And the distributor that did pick it up said put sec- put nudes in there. Well, and then speaking specifically of this scene, yeah. going back, at first, the first time I watched it, I was with you. I thought it was a fantasy. and But now, going back, I'm wondering if those are all the girls he's been with. Because he's talking about broads. Are those all the broads that he's been with? I mean, that's another angle that can, you could consider. And I don't just the way the way, and I actually like that it was cut right in the middle of that scene of him explaining it to her. Yeah, I like that. I just don't like this fantasy scene or whatever you call it because I think there's a way to do it. And this is where this is one of those things that it just seems so pretentious to me. Just in a loft with a single bed and nothing else there, and it just seems like like you can do this without think- it being like that. It just felt to me like I have to put in some nudity, but I'm going to make it super tasteful and very important. Well, I, yeah. And I think that, I mean, look, you put yourself in those shoes. Sure. So you go make a film and no one's loving it. Right, right. It's your first film, so you're not always going to knock it out of the park, although some people have. And, and as your first film, it's got to be crushing to know that no one really wants it. It's also, by the way, an interesting era in filmmaking history. And why I say that is because you got the late 60s. And maybe just a few years before that, what what ends up happening is the studios are getting sold off. So all the traditional, like, like the Warners and everybody are selling off the studios because they're old now. That golden age of the 40s and the 30s, 40s and 50s is all those executives at the studios are are selling off they're retiring or dying and they're selling <laughs> off the studios and right. what's ends up ha- they're kind of selling it off to like corporations 
and uh, the studios aren't doing well. And so independent filmmakers become vital in the late 60s. There's a lot of independent filmmakers that flourish because of this idea that the studios were getting sold off. They were unsure on where to go to find stories with good directors and art artists. And they went to film schools and, and, and like independent films. And mm -hmm. this is what Scorsese did. He made a short film. It's the late 60s. Now, he didn't get a big distributor. Right. But I just mean that he's a product of that, of that time. And his film, he's, he's, he's a comparable director to other people that came out of his, uh, his class or his sure. contemporaries. You got the Spielbergs and the Lucases and the Coppolas and the De Palmas and all these guys right. that came out. He's in that group in the sense of the contemporaries. But his film, it says something to me, not about him as a filmmaker. He's a great filmmaker. But it says something about me about his first film that it couldn't sell. Right, for sure. And maybe that's because it's not great. I mean, if you look at other first films, I mean, Spielberg gets in the same era, by the way, that late 60s, he gets a huge deal with a studio based on a short film called Amblin. He does a 25 minute short film that looks beautiful and has a very simple and is, I would say a very simple story. And it get, he gets a deal off it. What was Spielberg's first? Amblin. His first feature. Amblin. And then his first feature. Oh, I thought it was he, a short he did. He did a short. Yep. And then his first features. Oh, okay, gotcha. But then, based on that, he got a deal, and his first features were actually, uh, he did one, and then he did um, Duel, which was a TV movie. Okay. And then it led into the others. But, um, but my point in all of, saying all of this is that he's coming out of that same school, and nobody wants his movie. Mm -hmm. And the only way they're going to take his movie is if he puts a bunch of sex scenes in it. Sure. So he does, and and and. And you're right, like maybe there is something pretentious about that setup. And in this long-winded response, it's like, if I'm in those shoes and I make a film, nobody's loving it. Right. And they go, we'll buy it if you put a, a sex scene in it. Do I put it in there? And if I, if I have to, because they're saying that's the only way we'll buy the film, I, st I might want to make it my artsy director way. Well, I, and I, I understand that. I get it. Um... I'm not defending Scorsese. Like it. I'm just, just saying yeah. it, it just doesn't. It doesn't really. I guess it it fits with kind of the theme of this movie, where nothing well, fits together. Well, I think together. your theory is interesting because I didn't think of it that way. I I've seen the film a few times, and I've only I've always thought it was fantasy. Sure. Just because of that same reason that you're talking about, which is essentially the fact that it's this real like empty room with a single bed, and right. it's like all you know. But then it, the thing that kind of tipped me off is at the end he 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 uh, shoots that deck of cards at her, and I didn't I still don't understand why he did that. But to me, it just it's it's I don't know why it's a deck of cards, but it it feels like a symbol of like I don't even care about you. I'm just throwing this. You I know, think you mean that's, nothing to me. I think it's an interesting angle for anyone that watches the film to consider, because I didn't think of it that way. But the more I mean, I like it because I always like the for my own reasoning and my own subjectivity. Sure. I always like finding reasoning behind the movies. Yeah, and me even too. if they're not the director's meaning, that's the whole beauty of the movies is that we can go to them, personalize them, interpret them, uh, internalize them, whatever, you know? And yep. I like that. Yeah, me too. So I like this idea because I think that ultimately this helps me uh, balance out some of his perspective. We were talking about maybe he doesn't have a through line or he's uncertain of what he's trying to say. And I'm not saying this clears it up, mm -hmm. but I'm saying that I think if you go with that route of theory that these are JR's 
tokens. Right. I hate to say it that right. way, but like women that he slept with, then I love it because then it, it villainizes Jr. For sure. Even like it, already, you already sympathize with girl. Right. Because we know that she was raped, and and then he doesn't believe her, and then he doesn't want anything to do with her later because of that fact. But this idea that on top of that, he's a gigolo. For sure. Or what, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, for sure. He sleeps around. I'm not condoning. For what, sure. I mean, I, I don't care. Go ahead and sleep around. But I just mean for him to then stand up in the hypocrisy of like, hey, I can't be with you because you've slept with someone else. And then he's just been... Well, and that's kind of what it felt like. The whole, the whole, the whole movie kind of feels that way to me. Just one big hypocrisy. It does. It does have some of that to it. But I think if you take that scene where we see all the prostitutes and the the, the montage of the, the the sex scene, then it elevates it even more. It makes it. If it's not a fantasy, it's one thing. If it's a fantasy, right? It's another thing if it's reality. And then Jr.'s an, an even bigger dick than he already was. Well, it, it's this idea, and again, I'm not Catholic, so I, I could be butchering uh, the Catholic beliefs. Nor am I, but we can, we can discuss. But if I, to me, it feels like um, Catholics in general have a, a reverence for obviously the Virgin Mary and, and the Jesus figure, and they kind of look up to the Virgin Mary, and you know she's obviously a virgin, and that's kind of how they want their women. They want their women to be pure and untouched and... Uh, and in this context, Jr. and all his friends, they can just do whatever the hell they want. Mm-hmm. And even if it's a fantasy, it's basic. If it's a fantasy, it's him masturbating, right? Like it's right. just him, which apparently that's okay. But if he were to find out the girl did it, then that wouldn't be okay, obviously. To, I mean, to me, there's just, regardless, it, it's a huge hypocrisy going on here. Yeah, but there is a, a slight edge to the fact that if he's sleeping around yes versus beating off well for sure i mean in the sense both of them are fine if that's what you want to do fucking go do it right but i just mean (laughs) i'm so i'm not saying it in that perspective but i think it elevates the hypocrisy even more because and the only reason i think that maybe these are are women that he's been with is because uh obviously when what was that uh gaga why do they call this is his friend by the way one of his buddies they call him gaga and, and why does that mean he's stupid i don't know i think it's because it is it something you, in italian that i don't understand it might be either something in italian or my interpretation when i hear gaga i think baby which means okay. you're just like okay. yeah you that know? makes sense yeah but i could be wrong well gaga or gaga excuse me gaga, gaga. Yeah. it might be italian I, if i'm off i still <laughs> like my interpretation no i do too i like it a lot but uh he brings, babies are dumb i'm right i mean i'm i yeah, love baby. Sure. i have three kids i just mean yeah, me too they're dumb they're dumb they're stupid. <laughs> so that's what they, I was They thinking. shit in their pants. They're yeah. stupid. Yeah, exactly. They uh, have to be fed and they poo their pants. <laughs> exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but Gaga brings home these women for all, you know, for all the the dudes to basically share. Well, not there's six dudes and two women. Right. Right. And they're and they're basically arguing over who goes first. Yes. And that's why the original title was I got first. Yeah, he it's uh I call first. I call first. Because JR while the uh, while the two women are with two of his friends in another bedroom. Right. Ready to get it on or whatever they're doing. He's outside with his other two friends and he says I call first. Right. So, and they have this argument about who's going next. Right. So obviously he's planning to sleep with at least one of these women. So obviously he's sleeping around. 
and, and and that's why it got me thinking and also kind of with flinging the card deck at the chick on the bed it got me thinking obviously you know are these women that he's been with that he's done this with his friends with before or maybe even on his own um which like you said just heightens the hypocrisy of yeah. his of his disdain and his his outrage for uh, his girlfriend getting raped, essentially. Right. For and he's he's upset for the wrong reasons. Well, it it kind of just paints Jr. as an even bigger dick. Sure, sure. You know. Sure. Oh well, yeah, all these guys are dicks. Like they're they're they're. Can you imagine trying to hang out with these guys? Actually, when I was watching this, I don't know if you've ever been in those little New York apartments. Yeah, the tiny. They're little, tiny. Yeah, small. They're small. Super tiny. Can you imagine trying to film this thing with those guys in that in any apartment building and just the, the noise and the, imagine being a neighbor in one of those buildings and they're all screaming at each other and shit's going on. It'd just be a nightmare. And you know that they were just kind of run and gun because there was totally. little to no budget. Right. They were in that small apartment, in a small p- space, a cam op, Scorsese directing, and a sound guy. It felt like it was probably one of his buddy's apartments. Yeah. It, well, it probably it was. It probably was. It may have been his. No, it probably was. And one of the things, and we're talking about that, one of the things historically too was, and this will help, this will clarify it because we were talking about how it was a short film first. Um, and it was originally, the movie was conceived as a short film. So it was conceived as a short film, and they titled it Bring on the Dancing Girls, and they filmed it in 1965. So it was okay. about two years of working on the movie, two to three years to actually get it finished. Okay. Right. Um, and then uh, the and then so uh, it took two years to make that thing. They shot it on, and you're talking about some of the technical aspects, like fitting in a room and having a few people to go film something. They shot it on a 35 millimeter and a 16 millimeter. Um, and uh, they shot it on one of these big Mitchell BNC cameras. So these are really, they're huge. Right. So you talk about being like in a room, you know, with just a few people trying to like do a scene. And those cameras are monsters. Yeah. Um, and then on the opposite end, imagine trying to film them walking up the mountain, hiking in the woods yeah. with that thing. I mean, well, then at that point, it says in the research here, it says that he swapped cameras. So some okay. of the stuff to get improve their mobility yeah. and ability to actually get into these tight spaces, they'd switch to uh, the uh, the 16 millimeter okay. uh, cameras, the smaller the smaller size. So anyway, some technical stuff that that uh, was interesting. There's also a thing in here that talks about storyboards were done for every scene in this film. You got to be kidding me. Now, I don't know that these are all exactly accurate, but that's what it says. Oh, my. It just does not. It feels so unplanned. And so, I mean, there's no continuity even between lighting in scenes. I, I just don't. That's, that's crazy to me. It's like um, <laughs> I don't know how you would storyboard it. I don't either. There's no story. Well, here, here's a good argument for us to have, not argument, but conversation, because is there's, there's a story. I think there's a story, but here's the distinction for me is there's no plot. Yes. There's no elements that kind of escalate the story with the exception of a couple little pieces Mm -hmm. with girl. Right. Like we mentioned already, the stuff with girl is always kind of more interesting when there's the two of them talking versus all the other filler stuff. 
So the, and, and the story, I would say, is something that we're kind of breaking down and talking about already, which mm-hmm. is like this idea of hypocrisy and this idea of, uh, you know, religious uh, upbringing and this idea of like what's right and what's wrong and interpretation of people based on what you know about them or you don't agree that something's happened, you know, like the right, rape and right. things like that. Like, it, there's a story there, but there's no real structure to the story and all the plot is just kind of like melted away. Yeah. There's nothing to kind of, it's like if, you know, you think about story and then, you know, plot kind of helps structure the story, right? It kind of helps keep it, keep it elevated and kind of sure. keep it moving and the, the plots are just all over. Like there's, we're talking about this scene where they, you were talking about the mobility of like a 35 millimeter camera, a big, you know, BNC camera in the mountains well like what what's the story there what's the point of that i mean there's no they go hiking with their he goes hiking with his friends for like five minutes and there's really nothing happening that i can think of that really escalates i will say that i will say this watching it for the second time was beneficial because i knew where to fast forward and man, did I fast forward a lot in this movie. But basically, it like the mountain scene. It felt it felt like he was trying to say something important. There's some metaphor there, but it's just not clear at all what it would be. But it feels to me very deliberate because that's that's not an easy thing to do when an independent film at this time, this era, to bring your your crew, whatever, no matter how small they are, and your actors, and have them walk up a goddamn mountain. That's not an easy thing. There's it, there's a purpose behind this. What is the point? What is the point of this? I don't understand. And that's why it felt to me like it's got to be some sort of metaphor that he's trying to hit that is just so obscure that it just doesn't make any sense. It, I don't get it either. And it, it, the, the pacing of it's far too long. Oh, so long. Um Yeah, but I don't know. On that one, I could, I, I could rack my brain over and over and I'd probably never come up with a a reasonable kind of uh, considerable uh, answer. Even Harvey Keitel, when he gets to the top, as good as he is in this movie and in everything he does, he's just expressionless. Like, like it dissolves from his buddy, his really obnoxious friend, directly onto Harvey Keitel's face. And that dissolve has to mean something, too. He's probably exhausted. I'm sure he's way exhausted. Physically, beyond the acting, he's just like, are we done on this mountain scene yet? (laughs) He got to this the top and he's just going. tired. Right, yeah, and right. even such a great actor as Kaitel's like, I'm done. I checked uh, yeah, out. Yeah, I'm not that. I'm not that method. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It just I didn't understand it. And the there's old, a lot of that. Th- there's a few pieces of that. The only thing I can think of, and it doesn't tie into anything, and it doesn't mean anything. I just know that later Jr. shares that he went hiking with girl, and they talked about we we hiked a mountain, and then the conversation proceeds. Yeah. Yeah. But that's all. He, you know, that's the only. I don't know. Um, I just don't. There's got to be a purpose between that behind doing that. I think that as the movie goes on, it, it, it we'll get back to some of the story that is there, even with the exception of some of the plots that are not. The relationship fizzles. So it starts out good, things are nice. Jr. and girl are are growing, and they're you know uh, building a, a relationship. They're courting. Then it fizzles. And what makes it fizzle? Uh, well, basically, she confesses to him that she was raped. She was she was seeing a guy, and he raped her. And it was very well done. This whole scene, I thought, was very well done. It's um, 
yeah, it, it kind of it's sombering. It kind of brings it back to a sense of reality that that does make sense. I agree. I think the scene in that case when she shares that information, and he still does. I still think he doesn't. He I, he's not convincing that he believes her as a character. I don't think he believes that she's telling the truth. See, I I interpreted it that he doesn't want to believe it. That he that he is. He just he's been raised with this idea that a woman has to be pure. If you're going to marry a woman, if you're going to fall in love with a woman, she has to be pure. And he just can't understand that she's not because he loves her. She's perfect. But right. She's, she's not pure. Yeah. She's not pure. And so there's got to be. I mean, he definitely never gets over it because that definitely. becomes the demise of the relationship. Right. Right. Um, he ends up basically kind of calling it off in a sense. He's yeah. like, we're kind of done here. And then he goes on. Uh, this is when, in the story, he actually says they're, they're kind of done. And because of the cutting and the nonlinear style of the edit, the follow-up, in a sense, to that is the scene with his buddies and the the two women, and he's calling first. And then after that night, or he's kind of drunk and kind of, he goes back to girl's apartment that early that morning. Mm-hmm. And he's knocking on her door. Right. And... She opens the door and there he tries to kind of rekindle the romance. Immediately. Like he he kind of just jumps on her essentially. And 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 in in a weird hormonal instant, he's back interested in girl. Mm-hmm. Um and I love the ending because I think that I love her stance. I agree. You know, and they have this pretty once again from the previous heartfelt conversation when she divulges to him. And by the way, before we get into this ending scene, just real quickly, so that we, the audience know that she has indeed been raped. It's not something she was making up. We see it. We see it. Not from the perspective of like literal, but like the implied impression through the editing is that, and we see the cutting and the way they put it together, that she was indeed raped by an ex-boyfriend. And it was, it's pretty brutal. It's very brutal. And for not like showing anything grotesque or anything crazy, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I don't mean it, I mean like literally showing right elements of it. Uh it's it is brutal. It's it's, it's like, terrifying. It's very like that in a sense of like being a filmmaker, very well done. And you do feel emotion there. You feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for her because it doesn't feel um overly designed. It feels raw. It feels very raw. And and I also like the fact that he didn't... She starts to explain what happens, and then it just cuts to basically this scene. It goes right into it. And it's... That. I thought it was very well done. I thought, you know, and here's a point where the editing was fantastic. This is a good transition where you're taking something present and then using that editing style that we've been talking about to really heighten the storyline and the emotion. This yep. is one point where... It, it takes from scene to scene. It's done really well. The transition's yes. nice. Yep. Um, and it's raw and it's difficult to, to watch. Um, and so f- uh, jumping again to the end, he gets uh, to her apartment and he's all over her. He wants to rekindle. And they have this pretty sincere conversation. But I love her stance, which is essentially like I, he's, he's, he, he kind of begs in a way. Well, she's at first she's very open to it, and she's, she's open to it. She almost it's you can almost sense a 
there's a sense of relief that that he's kind of come to his senses. He's come around until he utters the word. And at this point, both times I've watched this movie, I'm looking at the time left, and I'm like, okay, we're, I'm almost through this movie. And then he utters these words, and I'm sucked in, immediately sucked in. And it took uh, over three quarters of the movie to get me to this point. Seventy minutes for you. Yeah, exactly. Answer. Probably eighty minutes, and I'm like. Finally, I care about this movie, but he says, I forgive you. Yes. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, just this is the most uh, no sense of of morality or hypocrisy. He has no self-awareness whatsoever. He's a narcissist. For sure. For sure. Because at that point, if the fantasies we talked about are real or they're not, all the other things that have led his character through the movie... And then now us knowing that she has indeed been raped, for him to come across with the pretentious way and narcissistic yes. way of saying, I forgive I you, forgive you, you kind of want to punch him in the face. Totally. And then she stands up and she does, and like you said, I, I, love, I love this ending. He still wants to be with her. It's a weird thing because as dumb as he is and the thing that he says, he still wants to be with her. And she basically tells him, look, you'll never get over it. You'll never, based on your response of how you just told me you would forgive me, I love that she kind of stands up for herself and basically says, I can't be with you. I can't have a relationship with you because it'll never go away. You'll always think this way and you'll never let it go. She says, you'll always bring it up. And he says, yeah, I'll always bring it up. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, come on. Right. No idea. He has no idea. And it really, that's it. She stands up and says, look, I'm not going to proceed then. It's over. I mean, in the sense, you know what I mean? Like, they, they call, it's done. Yep. And I like that. I like that she doesn't fall into it. I like that she doesn't, you know, just kind of traditionally go, hey, okay, I guess. You know right, what I mean? Right, right. Um, it would so have been easy her. to have a happy ending here. In the sense of, like, yeah, them rekindling yeah. And, then, and then the sunset idea of like them going off together as a, as a couple. Especially a first-time filmmaker, uh, you, you kind of – retroactively putting this thing together, trying to sell it, it would have been very easy to go that route. Yeah, absolutely. Because then there's a, there's a form of marketability or sellability. I mean, audiences like what they can feel resolute about. They, most audiences. Yeah. They like the idea of like feeling uh, the, the finishing or the, the resolute ending. So, yeah, I agree. Um, but before we get into some of the ratings, a couple things here. Okay. Um, a couple big admirers of the film. I don't even know who these uh, who these are, but I'm gonna say, would they feel the same way? I'm gonna ask you before I even hear this. Would they feel the same way if this wasn't Scorsese? It, here's the thing. I think it depends on when they were asked. Okay. And I don't know when. Okay. Because we have uh, two historically big film names. John Cassavetes, okay, big time, right? Uh, actor, film director, of course, writer, done some really good stuff. Uh, most notably, I think that people would know would be like something like Rosemary's Baby. So he's an admirer of the film, okay. And Brian De Palma. So this is what the the trivia is saying. I don't know how they would feel now. Like I said, I don't know when they were asked. Were they asked this in 1968? Right. Were they asked this in 1970? Well, De Palma and, and Scorsese were kind of peers, so 
Yeah, they kind of came up like we were talking about in the same time frame and also we're kind of buddies. And maybe maybe so, he really likes it. Maybe he true. I shouldn't just dismiss it. Some of De Palma's first stuff is pretty it's it's exploitation. Is it? Yeah, it's a sense of exploitation. So he may have enjoyed the we'll, we'll call it the artistic style. Okay. Okay. <laughs> despite your beliefs. Um the budget is estimated at 75000 This is 1965 through 67. It did not gross very much money. In fact, it, it didn't make its money back, period, from what I can read here. So the audience didn't love it. Now, it premiered at the Chicago Film Festival. Oh, yes. That's very prominently... Uh and shown in the very oh this is correct in the very first shot before in, before you even see a single frame of this movie. <laughs> if I made my feature and it got into Sundance or Toronto or Cannes or Berlin, I'd put those fucking laurels on the front of that thing. <laughs> I I get it. I get it. I just. I mean, I guess. I, I don't know. Th- this movie I just doesn't... I don't give a fuck what anybody thinks. What else was going on? It, this must have been a slow year because th- this movie... Because that's a good festival, too. It's a big festival, and that's what I mean. I think that's why they're putting it up there. I think also it has to do with marketability. Once again, sure. they're trying to For sure. market it. We know that overall the the stories or the, the plots and kind of the emotionality of the the movie's not there. Mm-hmm. So I think they're trying to do everything they can to, to try to sell the, the film or, or get people interested. And, and sometimes when you see those laurels, it excites you or you think, oh, it, it's you important. Know. You know, one of the big things you'll see is, and you do see that even still today, particularly like a Sundance one, you'll see a Sundance one come up sometimes True. when they're nominated or they're in the grand prize running or something like that. So it's not entirely uncommon, although it was uh, uh, very, very interesting to see that come up at the first of the film. Uh, 90 minutes, like it's a black and white for those that have not seen it. Um, then one of the things about, and I just will say like Kaitel's great in the film. And I also think that um, Zena Bethune, who plays girl, is fantastic. I think the acting's really good. So I don't know if that's, a hard nod to Scorsese. I mean, I know that the actors are the ones that carry that. It doesn't matter what Scorsese does directorially in some sense. For sure. But I think that, you know, him being able to pull out whatever he needed to from the actors was good. Especially, I think there's a little bit of reliance there, like of the two of them, uh, Harvey Keitel and Martin Scorsese, working it through because these are their first Oh, absolutely. Well, and also uh, the parts that I believe the most were when the the group of friends were kind of just screwing around. Yeah. Uh, when they had to deliver lines, they weren't quite as believable. But when they're screwing around, having a good time, I really believe that. Yeah, there was, and there's some moments. There is that scene uh, where they're drinking, and there's also the real scene that always stands out to me is when they're when they're arguing in the car. Right. Right. It's just the three boys, the right. rambunctious, you know, middle, the twenty year old kids, and they're arguing in the car. And now I can't remember. Was it the music? No. The guy in the back wanted the music up. He wanted to turn it up. It was the volume. Because yeah, he got sick of them arguing in the front. Yeah. 
And then he, one of them goes to turn it up, and then they start arguing about yeah. the radio dial. Right. And who's in charge of the radio dial, because it's my car. And then they right, start going. Right. Harvey Keitel and his, his friends start going back and forth. I thought that was entertaining. I actually enjoyed that. And like you're saying, those little things are so well done in the sense that they felt real. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's totally what 20-year-old guys right, do. Right, right. And it gets to the point so so far that Kaitel like they they come to a stoplight and he jumps out in the middle of the street like right fuck y'all I'm out of here and then immediately his buddy comes back to pick and then him like up. twenty just seconds later just get in the car and then I'm like oh that's totally something it, that every guy has done exa- it feels it feels genuine for sure but like towards the we're at the end the very last shot and, and this is another part where I felt like the editing was a little wonky not a little very wonky it it cuts to them on a street and it's like they're holding an action. And they're fr- and they're frozen, and then all of a sudden, it's like they called action, and they del- and they they move and they deliver their line very unbelievably. It sounds very wooden and, and dumb, but it's like why did you ho- why did you cut that early on it? Like why wouldn't you cut later on in the action? It didn't make any sense to me. Yeah. So th- I mean, there are just parts of this where the editing felt weird and the, de- and the delivery felt a little weird. It's those training wheels. Yeah, it's definitely the training wheels. But other than that, I really I thought that the most uh, believable parts were the friends all together. Yeah. They felt authentic. Yeah. For sure. Um, plot keywords. This is kind of funny. This is a new one I wanted to throw in. These are interesting. These are all the keywords that you would you could use to potentially search this film. Oh, this has got to be interesting. So sex, sexual fantasy. Okay. Male nudity, female nudity, rape. Every oh single one of God. those. If you, <laughs> now I'm saying uh, the other ones would be New York City, confession, morality. I almost think that any of those, if someone ser- Catholicism. used those search terms to look up a movie and got this, I think they'd be sorely disappointed. That's what I, so this is what I, I agree with that. And, and, and there's a few more in there, right? But I thought, those were interesting keywords because I don't know that those are the driving. I mean, some of those things fit. They all fit to a, some extent mm-hmm. based on what the content of the movie is. But you're right. I think if someone searched those and they got this, they weren't getting what they searched <laughs> for. Exactly. Exactly. Um, Especially those first ones. Yes. <laughs> so we'll get into a couple of these uh, these ratings. I'll read you imdb first it looks like you've got rotten tomatoes over there yeah so imdb's got it now this is interesting 6.7 out of 10 from 7500 users or reviews so for imdb is that that's users right yeah it's just a rating card so but that's users, not like critics like, no. like rotten tomatoes no it's okay. just users going on imdb there's yeah. 7500 people have, have said and the average of the rating has been 6.7 out of 10 and i w- again i would be very interested to see what people would think if they just saw this movie not knowing that scorsese directed it um and maybe i mean ideally not knowing who harvey keitel was but that's going to be pretty hard to do because I, I would love to know how much bias that gives. Because, I mean, I love and I love Scorsese. I mean, obviously, he's he's, he's got a, so many great later films. He's a genius. He's an absolute genius. I mean, the, the Departed is one of my favorite movies. Goodfellas. I mean, I can go on and on. Yeah, there. He, he's amazing. Well, what's funny is Mean Streets is around the corner. 
And right, I love right. Mean Street. Mean Streets is great. And Taxi right, Driver. Right. And like what? See, Taxi Driver was another one where I I, oh, I, I don't like it. it. It's because good. I think that's the sell. We'll get it. That's maybe wow. Yeah. But 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 I think it's also it's it's not this, of course, but it's the idea of the cultural and societal destruction of a man. Yes. Yes. And he, but he that message is there. So the point being, For like, sure. if you were to look at you know who's that knocking at my door. There's a little uncertainty in the message, and I would agree with you. You want to watch something like Taxi Driver, and you're pr- it's pretty clear what's happening. <laughs> yeah, there's there's no there's no questioning the that. implosion right. and destruction of a For single sure. person. For sure. Um, but again, that's one I kind of struggle with. But it's obviously much better. Yeah, than yeah. I I it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. But I just I I wonder how many people just it's they see Scorsese. But I know like, you're saying Scorsese, and you can't you can't question him, and it doesn't matter. You know. A bad film is a bad film. And to yeah. me, at least, this is not a good film. Let's hold like him it. on a pedestal because right. his portfolio is so great. Right. Uh, do you want Rotten Tomatoes? So we got 6.7 out of 10 IMDb. What's Rotten Tomatoes at? So the tomato-o-meter, that's the, the critics, right? I be- Did I say that right? Yeah. Tomato-meter? Tomato-meter tomato sounds okay. better. 68%. And okay. the audience score is 61%. And I'd say that's probably, as far as the ratio, I would expect both of those to be lower. But as far as the ratio, uh, critics to audience, I'd say it's probably about what I would expect. As far Rage. as a higher a higher rating for from critics than from the audience. Yeah, I'm a little surprised. I think that 61% from the audience. Yeah, it's 68 from the critics. Now, one that's interesting, too, we talked about the Chicago Film Festival Roger Ebert in 1967, when he saw it at the festival, gave it a four out of four stars. Okay. Well, I mean, and that's right. Right. But at the here's time. an interesting caveat to that. Years later, I don't have the date exactly. I think it's a few years later. He knocks his rating down. Oh, he goes back to three out of four. He retroactively, he re- just like <laughs> Scorsese, retroactively made the movie. Right. Right. Exactly. Roger Ebert mm-hmm. retroactively gives his uh, or upgrades or downgrades. I mean, only fitting. Score. Interesting. So he's three out of four. That was. I thought that was interesting. This is uh, "Who's That Knocking at My Door" by Martin Scorsese. Now, Alan, give me your rating. I'm ready for this one. Uh, okay. If you're gonna go watch this movie. I'll give you a little tidbit, okay? As soon as you hear music playing, you can watch for 45 seconds, and then you can skip five minutes. That's what I did. It, it, I breezed through it. It still felt like torture. It's like um, re-watching this movie is like if you go to the dentist and you get a root canal, and then they call you back and they're like, oh, shit, we did it wrong. We got to do it again on the same tooth. Like, it's, gonna, it's a nightmare. <laughs> it's a, that's what I felt, and I was so pissed at myself. I don't remember what I gave it last time, but I'm going to give this a four and a half out of ten. Four and a half. Four and a half naked chicks on a bed. Well, I was just going to say, that is the scene that you did not fast forward through. <laughs> Slow motion. Slow motion. <laughs> frame by frame. That's a still frame pause. <laughs> four and a half out of ten, or four and a half naked chicks on a bed yeah. out of ten. Yeah. Um, well, I think we get your sentiment. Yeah. You hate Martin Scorsese and Harvey <laughs> Keitel. Can't stand either of them. They they're ruined now. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. So we're at four and a half. So I'm looking at it. Okay, if you're gonna go watch this movie, I'd probably approach it a little differently than you. Although you know, rewatching it again and like kind of observing it again, uh, I'm not in love with 
I think the intrigue was gone. I think the first time you watch a film like this, even if you don't love it, there's this sense of intrigue because mm -hmm. you're wondering, at least from my perspective, is you know, you're wondering where the greats got their footing. And I, you know what, I was a little worried going back. Um, I, I was a little worried that maybe I was going to be too hard on it for the first time because I was expecting something great from Martin Scorsese. He was disappointed. Maybe I, I just going in with fresh eyes, I'd appreciate it for what it was. And it actually, I, I like it even less now. I mean, look, some first timers come in and they nail it out the park. Yeah, true. And then other first timers come in and it's not that great. This is probably, I mean, I don't think it's at the far end of the not that great, but it's not knocking it out of the park. So if you're looking at that spectrum to me, like I'll come in at a, you know, my rating would be right in that middle ground. What's the median essentially? Mm -hmm. Any uh, Because it is Scorsese, I don't care. I'm going to bump it up half a point. Sure. I'm at 5.5. Rewatching it again, I understand the value of it from the perspective of like him getting footing and trying to be a storyteller and a filmmaker. But there was so much convolution and confusion. And being an editor, like I, that's, I, I agree and I love Thelma Schumacher. And I think she ultimately is a huge, huge undervalued part to the, the credit that Scorsese gets. Oh, without gets. a doubt. Without like a it's doubt. not just him. Right. Uh, and we know anybody that knows film, it knows that it's an extremely collaborative art form. Um, but I think five and a half, uh, 5.5 out of 10 is where I'd probably place this. It's one of those things where if you're not, you know, you're listening to this podcast, you should watch it because you're listening to this podcast. Sure, sure. But it's not something that you're going to tell Nancy down on the corner of the street that's, you know what I mean? Like, right. go watch this movie because right. it's one of the best Scorsese films that's ever been made. Right. Well, and and Brandon was here last time, and I, I just, I, I'm so happy for him that he didn't have to rewatch this. He, he still might have. <laughs> I, yeah, he might have. And I don't know what he gave it, but I'm glad he... He didn't have to suffer through this again. I hope he didn't anyway. But if anything, this gave me a better appreciation for Scorsese because to see where he started yeah. and how rough it was to where he is now, it's it's a meteoric rise. I mean, just it, it, not even career success, but just talent-wise. And not just him, but like you said, Thelma Schumacher as well. Her editing prowess is just its off the charts now. It's, it's unbelievable. But you She's can still time. see there are some good good moments, uh, at least in the editing here, where you can see where where she was kind of she was stewing and she was going to become what she is now. I mean, as an editor, you can only do what you're with deal with what you're given, and it's I think you know even with some of the limitations in the edit, like I think that she creatively was able to compose something that was there and uh, sure. you know that 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 potentially might not have had been otherwise well and, and so. how much as a first-time director i mean i would imagine he might have been a little bit more controlling you know with this than with something like the departed where they've worked on however many yeah you're of films 30 years in right and they have an the, intrinsic trust the relationships like let's yeah right exactly the whole it changes the whole dynamic go watch it if you're listening to this podcast you should watch the film i agree with you i think it shows the growth pattern from the beginning. If you look at more of his recent film, I haven't seen The Irishman. I don't even know if that it's come out yet on Netflix. I don't think so. I'm dying for that. I think it comes that. out at the end of this month, actually. So that's good timing. Anybody that wants to see how you can progress and grow as an artist, mm -hmm. uh, I'm, I haven't seen The Irishman, but I'm assuming it's pretty good. 
look at who's that knocking at my door and see the growth pattern from that time to the to over the last 50 years. Right. And of course, the body of work in between, we could sit here and talk about that all night, which is, you know, the mean streets, the taxi drivers, um, you know, the good fellas, you mentioned depart, the departed, you know, it goes on and on. There's a list, Wolf of Wall, and it just keeps going. So this is a Who's That Knocking at My Door from 1967, Martin Scorsese's directorial debut starring Harvey Keitel. And uh, go check it out. This is the Tame Aperture Podcast signing out. Come back next week where we talk Reservoir Dogs. Yes. From Quentin Tarantino. So talk about hitting it out of the park on a first on a first film. Another Har- Harvey Keitel movie too. And we we tie we tie it together with Harvey. Prepare, watch Reservoir Dogs, watch Who's That Knocking at My Door, and we'll see you next time. This is the Tame Aperture Podcast signing out. The Tame Aperture Podcast is produced by Dutch Angle Pictures in association with Studio B Productions. Listen, watch, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, and YouTube.